Welcome to the Airman Helping Airman Podcast. I'm your host, Khalith Wright, CEO, Air Force Aid Society. Join me as we chat with extraordinary guests, share stories, and learn how amazing people are making a difference in the lives of so many Air Force and Space Force families. Good morning once again, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Airman Helping Airmen podcast. I'm your CEO for the Air Force Aid Society, Khalid Wright. And today I have with me another very special guest, Ms. Shermaine Perry Knights. Now, Shermaine is a proud military child, award-winning facilitator, project manager, speaker, and author. She holds several professional certifications in learning development. Her passion for learning has led her to writing articles, adult and youth coloring books, guided journals, and picture books that make military-connected families feel heard and seen. She authors books that honor the experience of military children. Now, her books support social-emotional learning and discuss the highs and lows of moving in a fun way. And as a person who moved around a lot as a military kid, she wanted to create a story to help kids who are sad, anxious, or scared due to her move. Her book series, I Move a Lot and That's Okay, is for children who are feeling sad, scared, and nervous about moving. It helps military-connected kids understand their emotions and cope with PCS, or Permanent Change of Station, which we'll talk about a little bit once we get into the interview. While this book features a military child, its messages of resilience and hope are universal ones that help all children overcome obstacles more easily. You can find her on all of the social links to include www.amazinglyshermaine. She's on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and you can find her books on Amazon. And we'll make sure you have all of the links so that you can check her out and purchase copies of her book. So, Jermaine, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm all excited. Ooh, who was he talking about? That's me. <laughs> <laughs> you hear someone else give an intro, you're going, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. I just consider myself as helping people. <laughs> yeah, well, you've done quite a lot. And as a parent of three military children who moved quite a bit, I wish I had a resource like yours when they were growing up. And I have several friends who have small children or children, period, that have been moving several times. And so I'm going to make sure I recommend that they buy copies of your book. Thank you. But let's talk about you for a little bit. So you've been a part of the military community for many years since you were a child, a military child. For some reason, we refer to as military brats. I'm not quite sure why, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about your experience growing up as a military kid. Of course. So I was born into the service and that's all I've ever known, this rapid change. All I've ever known. So I would say that it is a beautiful, flexible experience. And I love that everyone that I've met is like me. They're of more than one culture, you know, more than one background. And they have traveled and lived all over the world and have become the sum total of everything they've experienced. So I wouldn't change it. And I just love the idea of creating empathy for our experience among others who don't have that. So like going to 12 or more different schools is not the typical experience in the U.S., for someone that's lived in the same place their entire life or even in other countries. And when you start to talk about your unique experience, people go, what? Wow. And so you say, okay, well, how do I create empathy for that? How do we teach others about us in a meaningful way? And more importantly, like you said, I wish I had this resource as a kid. And that was the purpose behind it so that more children will feel as though their experience is normal and that someone else truly understands. 
Yeah, I love the way you describe it as a beautiful experience. So in the work that you've done, and I imagine the military families and children that you've talked to as you do your research for your books and and whatnot, is that typical for people to see it as such a beautiful and positive experience? Or is is there more stress and anxiety kind of associated with growing up as a military kid, the demanding parts of having a military parent, and mostly, especially what you write about, the demanding parts of moving so often? I think it's half and half. Many individuals go, well, was that normal? Did you feel normal? And I said, well, if it's all you've ever known, it is normal. And for some children, they live in a state of constant change and flexibility and things that are unknown. And that becomes very normal for you to be resilient, to trust your instincts, to know that at any moment, something can change and you just have to adapt. So I would say that part of it is very much normal. And when people hear it, they go, well, okay. I said, but think about it. If that's all you've ever known, that is normal. And then there's the other side, many children that I speak with and teachers and counselors, they'll say, well, that just sounds awful. <laughs> and I said, well, it's not awful. <laughs> you know, you get the kids going, why? And I said, it's not awful. You pick up the notion, you have to explain to them that where your family is, is home. It's not tied to an address or a city or a state as everyone wants to be from somewhere. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have that as part of your identity. You just tell yourself that wherever you are in the moment, you make it feel like home and you enjoy it. And so it takes a little explaining because most people say, how many schools did you go to? How many countries? That's weird. And I said, well, it's not weird. It's different. So it's a uphill battle in many ways to teach them that diversity of experience should be celebrated. Yeah, that's a really good perspective. So going back to kind of your childhood, did you have challenges making new friends? Did you have any anxiety or stress around showing up in new places and whatnot? I mean, how was the actual experience for you when it came to moving and making new friends? I imagine all of that existed at different moments, but I have to tell you, I am really fortunate that I have three siblings. And so I'll introduce them as the series moves on, but we're our own Monopoly game. We're our own tag, our own football game, soccer game. And so when you have multiple siblings that are very close, not in, well, some of us are close in age, but more so in relationships, it's a lot easier for you. And so you move into a neighborhood. And one thing I do like about our community is that you see new bikes. You're like, wait a minute, there's moving trucks coming in. Who's moving in? Got to go over and introduce myself. And everyone is very welcoming. So I didn't struggle to make friends. The hardest part was saying goodbye to friends, not knowing if you would see them again. And then in another duty station somewhere else, you see them. Like I saw a good friend of mine across the volleyball net in Germany. And I was like, (laughs) you, you, what are you doing here? And you recognize them, but you hadn't seen them in maybe six years. So you just never know when that individual will appear again. And that's the hardest part for me, not moving to a new place, but missing everyone and everything and trying not to forget them because you have new memories filling in your mind. Mm -hmm. And all that stuff after a while gets pushed aside. You don't intentionally forget people, but it is hard to remember everything about any new location. Yeah. Sticking to the topic of, of moving for just a second, I know I've met several. This didn't happen to me necessarily, but I have several friends and colleagues who were hit with a, a PCS, and, and I'm going to have you explain PCS to our audience who, who's not military here in just a second, but who were forced to move from one location to another during their senior year of high school. One, is that something that you experienced, and what has been your experience dealing with the children that you work with and the families that you work with, and any advice 
for someone who is a senior in high school and they have to go somewhere for one year and then graduate. Oh, that experience. It <laughs> almost happened, but it didn't. I was like, please, please, please. Can we not move this time? <laughs> but that is a reality for many, many people. And I know all too many friends that this happened to. And it's tough. As you start to create your identity, you have your friends and these experiences that you are holding on to that will someday become a part of you. To move again during those critical moments is very tough. So the college recruitment process is very hard. Understanding when you move back, where you go to, because you're not really from anywhere and your last mm-hmm. station is what felt like home. Now I, in my instance, moved from Germany back to the U.S. And I was just like, you know, stateside, but you never really live stateside. Yeah. <laughs> and then you hear all these wonderful things, you kind of glamorize it and you're like, wait a minute, this is not what I thought it was. And I think that happens for many seniors when they're having to move that last year whether it's post-graduation or during that moment, and just that culture shock of it all. It is very devastating for many. My advice that I tell individuals is two things. One, know that you are truly not alone. I know that sounds cliche, Mm -hmm. but there are many of us who have those experiences. And while I'm in my 30s now, the emotion is still raw. I can go back in my mind in the moment remembering, okay, you're going to move again. Just prepare yourself. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. You know, you're having these moments. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And this is where the phrase comes from, and that's okay. becomes like a little mantra internally. The other piece I would tell them is to journal. Write these things down because you may want to share it with someone someday, but if nothing else, journaling is very much therapeutic and it does allow you to free your mind from the moment. That great uh, recommendation. You know, I've tried journaling for years. I even tried to get my kids into journaling and uh, it didn't stick for any of us. So I don't know if we got bad journaling genes or not, but I like the idea of uh, having kids write down, you know, what they're feeling and the things that that they're going through. So again, really, really good advice. I'm interested, you know, we said we're going to talk about for our non-military audience. Can you talk a little bit about when we say, when we use the term that we'll use here throughout PCS or permanent change of station, what exactly is that? Yes. So it was really important for me throughout the book to explain some military terminology. All of these acronyms that are very normal for us, if you will, are unfamiliar for many. And so PCS is a permanent change of station. And the simplest way I could describe it is to say that it means the military has given your service member an order to move to a new location. And when that happens, your entire family has to move. All your things need to relocate. You need to find a new house, adapt to a new location, potentially learn a new language, and everything about your world is going to be uprooted and transplanted somewhere else. There is no opportunity to say no. Well, not in a good way. <laughs> you do that, it's probably going to end your career. Yeah. You have to go. The entire family moves and you start over in a new location, which is positive for many. But for the most part, it's very hard for your children, for your spouse, if you have one, for your parents who are, or anyone in your world that is not military. It is very hard for them to understand what that looks like because you will not see your friends and family consistently if you move to a different location. Many don't visit you. Yeah. So obviously, this is something that you experienced growing up. But I'm interested, you know, many, many military kids experience the same things that that you did. What got you thinking about and interested in writing about it? So I've done my version of journaling for years. Angry journaling is what I call it. You know, sometimes you just, (laughs) and I think maybe that's where you guys are with that. You know, it's not a defined journal. You're just kind of scribbling what you feel. Sometimes I ball it up and throw it away. Mm -hmm. But during COVID, I decided that lockdown period, it really just, so for the military community, I feel like it felt like when you arrive to a new location, 
and you just can't go anywhere because you don't have a car, you don't know anywhere, so you're stuck in the house. It's kind of like that. And I decided that I would write. And I had moved. So when I finished high school in Germany, I moved back to Atlanta, Georgia. Very different location. I moved from an area that was very diverse overseas. People of all backgrounds, all colors, all languages. And you're here that is predominantly one group. And I went to a um, HBCU. I went to Spelman College. So very different experience. I'm like, wow, this is so different. And as you start to talk to people and they're saying, where are you from? Which is a question I just kind of despise because I'm just like, I'm from everywhere. Like, you can't be from everywhere. I'm like, military kid. I'm literally from everywhere. And so as you talk about your experiences, people, they either think you're an avid storyteller or they just don't believe it at all. Like, that can't be real. And I just started to write down more of my experiences during COVID, picked back up some of the appropriate journaling, right? Not the balls of stuff I throw away. And I said, I want to kind of really complete these stories and share them with others, not just because it's Shermaine's experience, but because I feel like great writing helps someone else over a hurdle. And I know that if I felt a level of pressure and anxiety during lockdown, like many people did, Mm -hmm. I can't imagine what a seven, eight, nine, 10 year old felt who can't see their friends, doesn't understand why you're not actually going to a new location. You're just stuck in the house. What does that look like? And I said, okay, let's create some empathy, but I want to take them on an adventure in a good book because that's the only way you can travel, in my opinion, outside of actually traveling. So I said, I'm going to write some of these stories. And this is just one of many that I've published. I'm going to publish the others. And people actually were pretty receptive of it. I used my little beta group, my nieces and my nephew, let me know if it's good or if they thought it stinks. I was like, these are the two categories. (laughs) If you think it stinks, what can I make better? And Again, just ask them, does it make sense? This is something you'd like to read and just find a way to share more of who you are. But ultimately, it starts with the notes you write. Yeah, wow, what a great story. I love the fact that you used the experience of your nieces and nephews. You know, I'm, I'm in the process of writing a book myself and I'm paying an editor a lot of money. Where I could probably just find a couple of my nieces and nephews or some kids around the neighborhood to, <laughs> to do the same thing. Well, keep the editor. Yeah. <laughs> Keep the editor for the professional edit because that's valued. Yeah. When you want some feedback as a, does it make sense? Is it something that's appropriate for an age level? That's where you get the kids. They are brutally honest. And I love children for this. I mean, they'll let you know, like, that's terrible. Or why would you? It's just an unfiltered feedback that you don't receive as an adult from other adults. We're more worried about how somebody's going to receive it. They don't care. (laughs) If the food is not good, they're just going to tell you. (laughs) Yeah. Especially since it's about children. So great use of the the right kind of resource. Tell me about, let's talk about the book. So I move a lot and that's okay. What are kind of the themes throughout the book? Themes are resilience, hope, and adapting. I believe like those, if I only had three words to describe our experience, that's it. The service member does it because they have to. But I love that. I think the Armed Forces has done a really good job in the last few years, you know, after after my time. They've done a really good job of creating empathy for the spouse's experience, for the children's experience, and just having people understand that the service is for the entire family. It's not just a service member, as it was seen before, like you guys are just here. Now there's a true understanding and support system in many of our agencies around the rest of the family. And that just didn't exist before. So I love to see that there is defined resources and recognition for others, because it was hard. It still is hard for many, but at least now there's more resources that didn't exist before. So I'm interested 
Tremaine and and let's talk about your, the first thing you talked about resilience. What recommendations would you have for military kids in terms of building resilience or how to become more resilient, whether it's around moving or just being in a military family? Trust your instincts. So we talk about OBSEC, right? Observing what's happening around you and just you want to make sure you can kind of sense danger, get a good feel for someone, really trust that gut instinct. It's something we develop at a very young age. Like I could tell you at seven, I, I had this. Mm-hmm. We were living in Turkey and you have to be able to get around. And we're talking the 90s. So things were happening. We had armed guards on the school bus. And so when you tell people that, they go, what? You had armed guards on the school bus? And in my mind, I'm like, yes, I felt so safe. Like I, <laughs> in their mind, they heard something very different because mm-hmm. the world has changed. But developing a strong sense of understanding and listening to your gut. That's part of that resilience, mm-hmm. creating, learning the language of wherever you live and really trying to understand the culture. We have something called host nation in the Dodds or Dodia, which is the military child school system, mm-hmm. where they teach you the language and the customs of the people in the country you're living in. Really taking that to heart because becoming resilient is not just saying, I'm going to get over whatever's happening to me. It's trying to understand, create empathy and say, okay, how can I empower myself through this struggle? And so that's what I want to see more for many of us is just an empowerment. Yeah. I did some work myself when I was in the military with resilience. And and one of the things that we discovered, one of the keys to resilience was that a sense of belongingness or community. How does that play into a military kid who's always on the move? How important is it for them when when they first arrive or at some point during their time at a new duty station, whether it's Turkey or Germany, overseas or in Kansas or wherever it might be, to join clubs, to make new friends and have that sense of community and belonging that ultimately leads to more resilience. When I chat with parents, I always tell them that there's some key things you can do to help your child become more resilient. The first is find out what they're interested in. If you can research the area where you're moving towards and they're They have those clubs and sports. And let's say they're an avid reader like me. We always found the library anywhere I was. And I got to, that was part of my treat. I got to go to the library every single day. We found it in whatever city, whatever country that was close by. Finding things that appeal to them, that helps them to hold on to their sense of belonging. So if, for me, it was volleyball. We found that wherever I was. So find their, those sports, those activities in the area where you're going and kind of show them that before you get there, hey, I noticed they have these things here. And that helps them to create a positive mindset around the move. The second would be helping them become part of the process. Let them pick the meal you're going to have every time before you move. That's why I said, oh, Grace, she gets to pick pizza every time. Did I have pizza every time I move? No, but I love that idea of allowing a child to help make some critical decision in their mind. It's a critical decision of what you're going to have the night before you move. And they can look forward to that. So they feel empowered and a part of the process, not like it's happening to them. The other things you talked about was adaptability. So how difficult was it for you and how difficult do you believe it is for military children today to readily adapt to new environments and new situations? And and are there any keys to success from your perspective on things that they can do to make them more adaptable when they enter into new environments after a a PCS move? Yeah, I have to say our group is the most resilient, I want to say. I think it has to stem with the love for learning and and a deep curiosity. They say, oh, curiosity kills the cat. (laughs) I've heard that so many times, but I want to say that it empowered the cat, right? You 
this level of curiosity kind of takes you down the rabbit hole if we're thinking Alice in Wonderland to a world that you didn't know or understand. So why not allow them to nurture their curiosity, which will naturally make them want to learn new things. Mm. And when they want to learn new things, they're more excited about the language. Like learning Turkish is difficult. Yeah. yeah. There was not Google Translate at the time that I can talk into, translate it and put it in somebody's face. No, you walked around with a little pocket dictionary. You probably remember those. They were yellow on the outside and you had to find that word. It had the pronunciation. You had to practice. And that same curiosity allowed you to make friends among the local people. Mm -hmm. It allowed you to want to try foods, to shop in their areas, to really explore the culture and to take it on. So encourage your children to just become curious and create those opportunities for them. If they're local museums and if you're fortunate to live overseas, they will have unique opportunities. Take them to the water parks. You know, allow them to see that the culture is different but beautiful and that helps them to form a level of resilience. Yeah, so resilience, adaptability. See, and then the other thing that you talked about was hope. hope. So how do our children sustain hope or regain hope or what are the keys to having hope when it when they're at their either at their darkest times or they don't want a PCS, they have a hard time leaving their friends, they show up in a new place and they don't know anyone, they don't want to be there. Schools are different, all the things that come with moving as as a military child. What recommendations would you have for them on how to maintain and develop the type of hope? that inspires them to keep moving forward? Yeah, hope. When I first, when I think of it, I think of like not having hope. And I would think of an animal that is caged and they understand there's no way for them to be out and it's dark and they're bound. That's not having hope. There's no options. And so when I think of having hope or creating that for children, it's giving them options. No, they don't have a choice in where we're moving to. They don't have a choice. And now you're going to live in Spain and you're like, I don't want to learn Spanish. They don't have a choice in that. But if you allow them to have some small choices, it does help them to create hope. Say, hey, I know we're here. And I think it's maybe the first six months is where it's the hardest to adapt. You give them some choices. This weekend, we're going to do something different. You pick what we're going to do this weekend. I get to pick it. Whatever you pick, we get to do that. And it allows them to have some level of hope and ownership in the process. And as time goes on, they feel more empowered. They feel like they had more decisions and it gives them the hope to understand that life is about choices. Some things they cannot choose, but the areas where they are able to choose, they need to choose well. They need to be empowered. Like if we're picking food, this or that, let them pick unhealthy things sometimes and understand some of the consequences, but give them hope that gives them alternatives. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the themes from the book, Move a Lot and That's Okay, are resilience, adaptability, and hope. So really, really good. Really, really excited. Tell me, Shermaine, what in your mind has your book series, what impact has it had on military families? The impact is greater than I possibly imagined. I'm thinking maybe it's helping four or five individuals. Mm -hmm. But one thing I love is when I get Instagram messages or Facebook messages or even mail because people want to send you mail to and saying the impact it's had for their family. It's created a space for difficult conversations with children. Instead of just telling them, we're moving, get your stuff together. Now it's, okay, well, I'm hearing parents reach out and say, we're getting, it's PCS season, it's time to move again. Where do I get a copy? And so they'll have it because they know they'll probably gain orders this season because they've been somewhere too long. Hey, we're going to use that for a conversation. They're reading this to the kids before they share the orders. So a child has a good understanding of what happens on the front end 
and afterwards, and they're able to see what the process can look like instead of it happening to them. So I have to say it's empowered them to have these conversations and to reduce a little bit of the heartbreak. So aftermath is parents reaching out and saying, now this child is saying they're going on an adventure. Because I, I phrase it as an adventure in the book instead of like a forced move, yeah. an adventure. And they're like, oh, we're going on a new adventure. And I had to say the most touching story that came to me, and I'm not a crier, but this definitely brought me to tears. I don't know if that's a something because we are desensitized to many things, but I'm not a crier. It's the person said that their seven-year-old had to move again. And at this age, they're creating friends. They know they're leaving people behind. So it's a little bit harder at seven to leave than it was at four when they moved. They read the book. They had a great conversation. They explained it's a new adventure. And the feedback I got is that her son said, she's just like me. And I just thought, wow. She said that her child felt heard and seen, but she said, he said, she's just like me. Mom, can I take this book to school and show my friends? I want them to learn about me. And I said, okay, they get it. They want to be able to teach others about their experience and they didn't feel so alone. And so it created a story where, yes, they moved and this child decided they were going to write letters to their class like I did with Mr. Mossberg, who was one of my real teachers in a different station. But they explained that and they started to, can we have pizza? And so they started to kind of create the same narratives for this child and they felt a little bit better in their move. And I said, wow. So I had direct impact on someone, hopefully to make their experience a little bit easier than mine. But I've received so much information from many people and stars and stripes and all these great folks. But if I could just impact a few more kids, that to me is just invaluable. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just such an amazing thing that not only are you creating this space for military children to gain a better understanding and a better perspective, I love the fact that you are seeing the fruits of your labor through the feedback that you're getting, yeah. like you said, online and actual letters that people are, are mailing to you. And that's, that's fantastic. So what's next for you? So you've written this series of books. They've been very successful. You've helped a lot of people. What's next on the docket for you, Shermaine? There are a few things next on the docket, but one I have to share. Every child that I've ever heard from, teacher, classroom, they want to know what happened to Cody. <laughs> I'm not going to tell your viewers they have to read the book, but okay. oh, Cody is the topic. What happened to him? You want to know more about him? I did not think it would be as impactful as it is for most kids, but it's a reality for many children because their toys are an extension of them and it becomes like a little best friend. So we will talk about Cody's story next. I want to have that out this summer because everybody wants to know. I mean, and it is just hurting their little feels. Can I, Miss Perry, Miss Perry Nights, can I put something on Facebook and ask where's Cody? I said, if your parents say it's okay, you can, you can do that. So <laughs> Cody's yeah. story will appear next. All right. And it is time for PCS season again, if you will. So we will have mm -hmm. another move to a different location and I'll introduce some additional characters. I want to talk around some other important life-changing moments for our community mm -hmm. that we've all experienced when somebody returned from deployment and they were different. Mm. I experienced that, you know, they're, wow. they're mean, mm -hmm. they're on edge. I don't understand why as a kid, nobody understands that as a child. Just like, okay, yeah. I don't, they're different. So talking around that, because it's very important for kids to understand, we're talking around when somebody deploys and doesn't return. And that's this person's parents, but you guys are all one big family. So you feel it for them and you experience that together. So talking around that, talking around PTSD, talking around diversity 
in the service because you see a lot of biracial, bicultural children. Mm -hmm. And that's why it was important for me to represent that in the cover because you don't see that in many books, books written for children from a child's perspective. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. Most of the topics that you just mentioned, returning from a deployment, dealing with PTSD and things that diversity, equity and inclusion. Most of those things are written for the adult learner, for the member, the military member, and even for the the military spouse. But to see someone like yourself writing about those topics, particularly for the military child, I think is going to be amazing. I can't wait to read it. You talked about PCS season in your series is coming around again. And PCS season, it seems to never end. Typically, for certain parts of the military, mostly for officers, PCS season is, is in the summer. But for the majority of the military made up of enlisted members, we would PCS at any point throughout the year. There was really no, no season. So if you, for any of our listeners who might be going through a PCS right now, and either they're here listening with their children or by themselves, what advice would you give, would you recommend to the person that's going through a PCS right now? and how to be successful in dealing with a PCS for their children? Well, first I would tell them to grab a copy of the book, not because I want you to buy a book, but because it allows you to create conversation and really understand how a child is feeling. This idea of they should be seen, not heard. That again, for that time period that worked, but that doesn't work now. We really want to hear them and to hear what's happening inside of them. So talk with them as you read the story together. Don't just give them a book to read. Read it to them, small portions, and ask them, How do they feel about that? What do you think will happen next? These are things that allow them to share their opinion, to make predictions, and it becomes a part of reading fluency, which is important for school and just life. But even if you have smaller children, ask them to draw how they feel. This will give you a good understanding, just something like drawing a picture of what you feel like today and to start to create it because we're seeing more children at a younger age enduring mental health crises which can happen at any age, any part of the body can become sick. There's no shame in that. But once upon a time, there was shame with it. You and I both know that it was not always accepted and recognized and solutions in place to support it as there are now. So I would say it's really, really important to talk with your kids and understand where they are and how are they feeling? Like, what do they want to be? Not just a job, but do they, is happy one of the things they want to be when they grow up? Like, I want to hear people say that more. I want to be happy, not just, oh, I want to be an astronaut, a doctor, this, that. Talk to them, really spend some time each day, like be intentional for even if it's 30 minutes every day to have a family activity, because that is very small to us as adults, but to kids playing with them, that's really important to them. 20, 30 minutes, jump on bubble wrap. I mean, because that's probably all you have if you're PCSing. That's what we did. (laughs) Draw on boxes, use those outside and kind of make soap boxes and push them around. There are very inexpensive, fun ways to create memories that last a lifetime. You never know how that can positively impact a child's mental health. (laughs) You know, I'm thinking about all the times my kids would be popping bubble wrap and it would just work my nerves, right? So, I mean, just turning that around and saying, hey, how about having a little bit of fun and jumping on the bubble wrap amongst other inexpensive and unique ways for kids to have fun in the midst of a PCS. So, again, you know, more great advice from from you, Shermaine. And and I just want to say thank you once again for the work that you've done in this area, helping all of us with our military children. I think for people who have children in the military and really for people who have children, period, because military folks aren't the only ones who have to move. We aren't, we aren't the only ones who have to move, whether it's within the 
continental United States or overseas. So I think anybody with children who has to move will benefit from this. Even I think folks who are thinking about starting a family and having children, I think this will, these are great resources for them to have. So again, I just want to say thank you for the fantastic work that you've been doing. We're all looking forward to the next series. We're looking forward to seeing what happened with Cody. And so we'll be on the edge of our seats and waiting on that next series of books to come out. So thank you once again. And I'm going to give you the last word if you have anything else that you'd like to pass along to our audience today. I would encourage everyone to just reach out. I am more than happy to have conversations. It's like meeting new friends, not necessarily, oh, this is strange you're talking to you. Reach out. Let's find some strategies that can work for your classroom, for your agency, for your household. It's just really, really important that all children, like you said, who have an experience of relocating, feel empowered. Even if you're changing jobs in the U.S., you're not military, and you've got to relocate. All of that is really important, how they feel supported at the time. I have to say, I would like to see more of more books that validate the military experience on in the exchange, in AFES, at the commissary, at the shop, at wherever we have books that are around our communities. I have to say, I don't see many books that are for us, by us, with the intention of serving us. And I think we have to change that narrative. So if you're out there, like reach out. There are opportunities for us to have those on the shelf not just things that are outside of our experience. We need more of those inside. So reach out. I'm more than happy to read at your school, your local, anything. Just let me know. I'm just, I'm happy to be a part of the space and just to help create new solutions. Absolutely. And uh, I happen to to have a relationship and uh, actually be pretty good friends with both the CEO and the senior enlisted leader at AFES. And so- Small world. Yeah, maybe we can work to- if it's not already in AFES bookstores, we can work to get your book in AFES. So thank you. All right. Yeah, just I, I think it's just important to have more resources. And I love what your podcast does. It just creates a space for people to listen and connect and feel as though there is a community out there to support them. And that's what it's about, making the world feel a little bit smaller, one conversation at a time. So this podcast serves that purpose. Yeah. And our podcast only works because we have very special and unique guests like yourself that are making a difference in the world. So, Jermaine, once again, thank you very, very much. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been your Airman Helping Airmen podcast. I'm Khalid, your CEO from the Air Force Aid Society. Today, we had a very good conversation with Ms. Jermaine Perry Knights, author of I Move A Lot, and That's Okay. So stay tuned for the next series. We'll make sure that you have all of her contact information, all of her social links, and the link to her website and Amazon. So she mentioned earlier that she didn't necessarily want you to buy books. Yes, we want you to buy books, not just to (laughs) fill her pockets, but so that she can help your kids and all the military kids and, and any children who may be going through the same things that our military children go through when it comes to moving around. So once again, Charmaine, thank you and best of luck to you in all of your future endeavors. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Airmen Helping Airmen, brought to you by the Air Force Aid Society. To find out more about how we make a difference, visit AFAS.org. And then be sure to search for Airmen Helping 
in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of everyone at the Air Force Aid Society, thanks for listening and join us on social media.